0: Welcome to episode 53 of the Green and Healthy Places podcast, in which we explore the themes of well-being and sustainability in real estate and hospitality today. This week, I'm in my hometown of Barcelona, Spain, talking to health and fitness entrepreneur Martin Ebner. Martin is the founder of EbiLife Personal Training and Fitness Solutions that includes diet plans, training programs, and what is now a fairly dominant Google ranking in Barcelona's fitness scene. Our aim with this conversation was to bridge his world of fitness and personal training with my world of what I operate under byophilico, but effectively a healthy buildings strategy advisory. So we look at, for example, what needs to happen to activate a fitness facility in an office or residential development to extract true value from it. The importance of being in a state of receptivity to start and stick to a new fitness program, for example, as a building occupant, say uh, an employee in an a large office block, we look at how residential developers building gyms may not always align necessarily with occupant demand for physical activity taking place in those gyms. We look at how you can create an enjoyable experience for physical activity that might be solo, accompanied or led by an expert such as Martin, we look at how you can create sustainable physical activity plans in the medium term and adjusting activity programs for fitness levels. There's a lot in here. We cover a wide range of topics, but it's a really insightful conversation from an emerging fitness guru who I have a lot of respect for. So here he is, Martin Ebner. So I'd like to start with a question around something that I'm peripherally conscious of, but no doubt to some extent probably try to ignore, right? Which is when we're creating healthy spaces for people to spend their days in, or perhaps live if it's a residential development, or to work in, so if it's an office development, sometimes it can be a bit too easy, even for me, to say, well, look, we're gonna provide access to a facility for exercise, yoga, fitness, whatever it might be, um, whether that's on-site or off-site, and then the job is done. That facility then may or may not get much use. And if it's not getting much use, in the end, it comes back to me because the client's like, okay, you recommended this, the gym's always empty. What do we do? Do we have programming? And I think where I wanted to go with you was that inner process around at an individual psychological level, why are people starting and sticking with a program that perhaps just access to a gym will never tap into? There has to be something else there, right? And you're working with individuals. So what are the broad themes that you see in terms of why people start a program and how you get them to continue? Sure. Um,
1: well, yes, as you say, I don't think providing a space um, is enough to uh, to convince the majority of people to work out, especially people that, that don't already work out. Um, I have a lot of clients that, uh, that work for for big companies and they have access to to facilities, but for one reason or another they don't they don't use them or don't take advantage of them. And then they they employ me outside of of their their place of work to train them. And I think it maybe comes from maybe a lack of of education or the motivation isn't there for them to use the gym. I think they need to be in a state of readiness as well to begin a training program. And I think the majority of the time it comes from an extrinsic motivation. So maybe to get fit for summer, to get a six pack, to get a chiseled chest, whatever it is, And that would be enough to get them to start a program, but rarely enough to get them to continue. But then my job as a trainer is that once they've started is to get them to appreciate all of the intrinsic motivators of exercise. So feeling more energetic or feeling great when you're working out or sleeping better. I think these tend to be the factors that help people get into an exercise routine and stick to it. So uh, so like I said, I don't think a space is enough. I think maybe education and educating the people on some of the, the bigger benefits around,
0: around exercise. So you've, you've made the distinction there between the first step into the gym, by which stage, or the first contact for a trainer, by which stage something has gone on. And that's typically coming from internal motivation, which suggests it doesn't matter how beautiful a fitness room, a meditation room, a yoga space, I might design for a building? It doesn't matter if that inner motivation isn't there, no matter how uh, persuasive the employer or the real estate developer indirectly might be in terms of creating an opportunity For you to exercise or start an exercise regime by itself. It's not enough. So if we dig into that, you then got certain key drivers around why someone comes through the door. And then but beyond that, where you started to describe the benefits, that's perhaps more the language that we're talking when we look at workplace wellness and we're trying to encourage people to to start exercising. Better sleep, for example. You sleep better, you rest, you recover, you sleep, you come back stronger the next day, you're more productive, you have more energy. So, there's, I think, a piece of education and communication around there. But what about from that first step? Is there then a, an interim phase where you're trying to get them over the hump from coming through the door to the stickiness? Like, what before we get to the sticky bit and people are like hooked, what happens in between? Because I imagine quite a few might also drop off. Yes. So, I think um, people
1: very often come to me with unrealistic fitness goals. So, the industry, in general, sort of promises uh, significant results physically or aesthetically in a very short space of time. So, it's always, Mm. I don't know, get six-pack abs in six weeks. And... We're quite lazy in general, and I think we want to get maximum results with with the minimum amount of effort. So it's really my job to set realistic expectations. Yes, it's very nice to train for aesthetic reasons, but it's quite important for me as well to dig into the reasoning behind why they're so obsessed with improving their aesthetics. Um, I think a lot of people believe that if they, you know, if they look better, they're going to feel better. If they get a certain weight, their life will, will automatically feel better. But from my experience, that's very often the opposite of what happens. So my goal as a trainer is to try and set realistic expectations and encourage consistency um, over things that are a little bit more extreme and obviously over my my life and my experience as a trainer that has changed also Um, I used to quite enjoy training for aesthetics for example but it's it's not necessarily something that is going to allow you to get into a routine and stick to it because a lot of the time your expectations are far greater than what you think you can achieve in the time that perhaps you've given yourself. I don't know if that answers
0: your question. It does. What I'm seeing is effectively two very different reasons for doing exercise uh, from the perspective of the employer or the workplace itself or even indirectly a real estate developer building a residential building for example okay should we put in a gym There it has it's complete disconnect really in terms of what the actual drivers are for most people which are you know, understandably more inner oriented to do with their aesthetics their sense of self-worth and um yeah the confidence self-confidence in social environments i think that's that could partly explain this the challenge of this uh, of getting to stickiness which is okay we're getting to a healthier um, population but specifically we're getting to a healthier workplace or workforce so we have staff who are taking less uh, sick days who are not suffering from endless back pain because they're just generally in better shape sure so there's that individual versus Um, the individual driver versus uh, actually what's going on uh, within the the organization in terms of what their expectations are so that piece around guidance and programming how big a role is that in terms of getting to sticky in terms of getting to some point of automaticity so around where it becomes almost self-reinforcing where it no longer needs to be pushed by some external factor it's just something that Someone enjoys, right? Like, is that years of work? Is, uh, that, is it? if you've got a good program, is that it? Is it, is it a guaranteed success? No. Hmm.
1: I think that's the million dollar question. I suppose we could use our, ourselves as examples, right? So I don't know at what point in my life um, exercise became so essential um to my well being and i don't necessarily know how it happened but i think again being realistic with your expectations is very important so the people that have the greatest success when it comes to to fitness are the people that are able to do it consistently and they have the sort of the right in my opinion reasons to exercise. So the clients that I have that tend to have the most success aren't the ones that are coming to me and saying, I want to be this weight by this time, so that I can look great for summer. Okay, because it's a very short term goal. A lot of people just assume that after the 12 weeks, that's it, they don't continue, or they take the route of going so extreme for the 12 weeks They achieve enough, and then after the 12 weeks, they stop entirely, and that's it, okay? Um, So, yes, I think it's the people that come to me, and and they just want to feel good, and they enjoy the workout, and I don't necessarily have to push them so hard because the the motivational factor isn't to get a six-pack, it's to feel good.
0: Then you're talking effectively about a hormone release. Now, isn't that universal? So, if, if the workout, if it, I mean, a lot of people talk about that rush after a hit workout, for example, because you just get this hit of endorphins, and it does, you know, it can last for a good half a day, where you're just feeling, especially high intensity or power type workouts, you can have this after a glow, uh, and you know that can that can have wonderful effects for for example, your productivity at work. Like if I do a particular type of session in the morning, I feel great all the way through to lunchtime. You may or may not crash after that if, if you don't get it right. But is that not universal? Do you see that are there just some people who are more in tune with that than others? Or is it all there if, if people are open to the sensation?
1: I think it depends on the experience of exercise. So I think you're assuming that exercise feels good at the time. And for a lot of people, it really doesn't. Mm. So for you and I, it probably does. Mm. We've learned to appreciate pain and pushing, yes, discomfort, (laughs) accepting discomfort, thriving on it, enjoying it. But for a lot of people that aren't necessarily fit, it can feel very uncomfortable. So again, I think my job, if I get a new client, is to create a collection of enjoyable experiences for them so that they keep coming back. So I see this at gyms all the time. It's something that really frustrates me is I'll see these trainers and they'll push their client to the point of you know, dizziness, feeling faint, wanting to vomit. And if that is your first experience of working out or going to the gym, you will never go back and do it again. So I get lots of people and they come to me, I hate exercise. So what do you hate about it? I just don't like how it feels. And my view is always that they've, they've done something that they disliked or they've pushed pushed too hard initially. I think it takes a bit of time to build up and you get used to that pain and that discomfort, and that starts to be a motivator. And you start to enjoy that feeling. But initially, I don't, I don't think it exercise unless you do it right, which is always what I, I aim to to achieve with new clients. It's, it doesn't necessarily always feel great. So I think instinctually, you're not going to keep returning to something that is hard and that is a challenge and that that doesn't
0: necessarily feel good initially that's where the difference between working with a PT working with a trainer on a one-to-one basis and just kind of starting to work out starting to try to go to the gym with or without some knowledge that's the key difference I think is that you can you see that perhaps someone has an issue with a the squat they just don't have the mobility to squat and it doesn't feel good so they stay away from it and the squat never gets gets attempted again. And you can easily avoid it if you're training by yourself or if you're in a group class that repeatedly asks you to do a particular movement, maybe you just don't go back, right? Whereas when you're working with a PT and you and I have trained, there's no way to hide. And when you come up against a, block, a blockage, you, you find a workaround and you make a note mentally, right? There's a There's an issue there with hip or ankle mobility. Let's come back to that. We'll work on that. I'm going to push you on the timeline because... I think what you're talking about is uh, it feels to me like there's a medium term, if I can call it that timeline, call it the hump, somewhere around it's got to be, what, three, four, five months in terms of getting someone into the groove. Absolutely. I think
1: depending on your experience, your fitness level, age, et cetera, you tend to achieve or be able to achieve a lot initially when you start training. So, if you don't know what you're doing, you might not be able to achieve it nearly as quickly. But if you train with a trainer and say you're just starting exercise for the first time or returning after a spell out, you can certainly achieve a lot very, very quickly. And that, I think, for a lot of people is very motivational. But that also creates a problem because it's not sustainable to have... You plateau. You plateau big time. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) I think what, what people tend to see is within the first three to six months, they get incredible results. They can achieve a lot and then it drastically slows down. But hopefully that's when the intrinsic motivators come into play. You're sleeping better. You're able to eat more. You feel great at the time. You know, it's a moment that you can de-stress. Um, so I think that's when it starts to to sort of these motivators start to kick in and you can begin to establish a much longer uh, sort of a habit as opposed to starting and stopping.
0: And I'm interested to know if, from your experience working one-to-one with clients, if you've identified certain personality types, because I think we, we touched on it a few minutes ago, the idea of, you know, almost seeking out diversity, and there's a certain personality type, it's not masochistic, but to some extent, we're, we're heading deliberately towards the pain. Like, yeah. we're, we're seeking it out, I don't know. A 50K trail run on a Sunday morning, no one's asking me to do it, I go do it, because I kind of like the suck. I kind of enjoy it on some weird level. I know it's gonna be awkward, and I'll probably come home in, in all sorts of trouble, but I do it, there's something in there I'm no alpha male, but there must be certain personality types that you've seen whereby you're able to find that button and make it switch. And then I'm guessing there are others that are perhaps more challenging in terms of finding a way to connect. Right? So how do you how do you adapt? How do you get into that? Because you're able to work one to one with clients, but like what's that process in terms of trying to find their levers, their their buttons to switch sure um, well, I think I'm in a very
1: fortunate position where I can now choose the sort of client I take on And most recently um, the sort of clients I take on aren't necessarily into extremes perhaps like yourself um, and personally I'm not really into extremes either I'm much more about consistency and finding balance, and that's changing, obviously, as I age. Um, But like I say, the most important thing for me is to establish sort of realistic goals and then to create a collection of positive experiences so that they can continue and want to continue to train forever. So I don't necessarily get the sort of uh, clients that are wanting to run 100 miles. I don't know if these people tend to seek the help of personal trainers. I think you don't necessarily get somebody that, that would approach me that's never exercised before and says, I want to run 50 miles. Hmm. And if they did, then I would probably say, let's start with five. And then once you get to five, you feel good with five miles. You can go for 10 and, and, and build up that way. So I think less about extreme goals and more about moderation and then you can expand upon that
0: as your confidence and your experience grows. It makes sense. I think there's also something cumulative about it. I certainly found over 25 odd years of, of training that, yeah, you do start to look for, to some extent, the occasional peak, the occasional extreme and challenges. And I think that's why you get so many middle-aged men doing triathlons and Ironman. And sure. all the rest. Yeah, we're kind of hunting, you know, we were looking for a next big thing uh, or switching around and trying other other sports. But I can totally see that the bulk of the market for you, and in fact, I think specifically when you're looking at, say, uh, trying to create a healthy workplace and the workforce, The majority of people need what you've just described, which is, look, let's just keep it simple uh, and get you from point A to point C, passing through point B, which is some point of some element of stickiness kicking in. So when you look at measurable results, like how are there universal um, data points for that? Or is that also specific according to the type of person and the reasons they came to you originally?
1: Yes, I think it...
0: um... It depends on the client, a lot of them don't
1: tend to need to know, obviously I keep record and track of all of the clients so that we can see or I can see their progression. I try to discourage people to focus on weight or body fat percentages, things like that. Mm-hmm. I think that that is quite an unhealthy view. So. I have a client, I won't name him who is quite obsessed with weight and body fat percentages. And once I get to this body fat percentage, and you know, and I'm always challenging him to give me a a good reason as to why when he gets to this, it's he's going to feel any better. So for me. I tend to focus a little bit more on quality over quantity. So a measurable result for me might be technique. So I'm, as you know, you've trained with me once. For me, I give quite a lot of importance to to the technique. So it might be a client when I first get them can't do a squat and then after six weeks they can do a squat perfectly and that for me would be a great result. And then from there you can obviously begin to build up on the repetitions, build up the volume, build up the weight, etc. But each person is, is a bit different and I think a lot of my clients, again, they don't need to necessarily know the numbers or the figures or how much they've done. Um, And I don't necessarily need to see the the specifics either. It's more the progression that I see in their ability to perform Um, and also how they feel. I get a lot of... um, or it pleases me when when a client comes to me. I went to the supermarket and walked up the hill with two heavy shopping bags. So that would be something that nobody would train for ever, but it's it's a nice benefit. You know, these benefits you don't necessarily notice, but then you look back and you're like, wow, I've slept eight hours every night for the last week. I haven't done that forever. And um, these are a lot of the things I aim for now um, with my clients. I was going to say also that a lot of the clients I get now are maybe middle-aged and they've spent most of their lives making poor lifestyle choices and something may have happened to them and they've realized that they're not 18 anymore they can't eat the way they do or maybe they've had a health scare and that is enough for them to start uh, an exercise
0: program and worrying more about their health um so yeah, i wasn't sure where i was going to go with that and that but would, would connect quite nicely with the idea of demographic groups connecting with certain types of fitness experience. I know it's not it's not your bag, but uh, clearly the group fitness revolution and boutique fitness studios over the last 10, 15 years in most European and, and US capitals primarily, it's just been game-changing in terms of Encouragement in terms of motivation, in terms of getting people to do things that they perhaps would never have tried to do. I mean, from CrossFit all the way through to to the yoga boom, um, there's just more out there in terms of group class and motivation. But clearly, I think what I'm getting from you is that that may not work for people at a certain life phase who've been through certain things previously. And they're kind of having now to pay the debt on those cumulative results. And something does change at a certain age. Um and I think also around uh simply like how one lives one's life and the responsibilities we all have and so on. It's just not necessarily convenient to work around a class timetable. I think that's also where the, the PT really comes into its own, around it being a little bit more tailored towards that person's individual requirements. Mm-hmm. And that might also then align with a demographic, not say can't work for I don't know, say like a twenty-five-year-old graduate just out of university. But it's much more likely that person, you know, has a spin studio membership or does yoga in group classes, right? Sure. It's it's surely that divide. Absolutely. I think it depends on the sort of
1: person you you are. I mean, I don't really enjoy training in a group. I've done it. I did a little bit of CrossFit and it pissed me off. people shouting at me to do more. I think, again, CrossFit isn't maybe a great example because I think a lot of these classes are very extreme. Mm. So it's getting more bang for your buck in less time. And you go in and, you know, CrossFit is is an interesting example because there's a lot about it, which I think is fantastic. I'm not going to say too much about it because I know there's a lot of people that are diehard CrossFitters. But I think for a beginner to go into a CrossFit class. And, you know, unless uh, they're physically prepared enough to do it, it can be quite dangerous. And I think that can be the case with quite a lot of group classes as well. and and yes, I mean, I, I suppose I believe in quite a tailored approach to fitness. I think everybody is quite different. I think there's a lot of great things that come from training as part of a group. It's community, it's motivation. These things are all great. But I think it's unlikely that you will see as, as significant results when you're training um, with the goals of a group as opposed to the goals of yourself, right? So, again if i was to go to a group class i'm obviously i have the education and the experience to know that if there was an an exercise in there that wasn't suitable for my back because i've got some compression in my spine i could work around it but somebody that didn't know wouldn't know and would do the exercise anyway and that could could potentially be uh, a little bit risky for them but uh, I appreciate the value in both, and I've seen the boom in group fitness, and I think it's wonderful. It looks so much fun. It's just not necessarily my
0: style, and I don't think it's motivational for everybody. I think the output that I'm I'm getting from our conversation is when looking at a a workplace wellness program that is really comprehensive and that offers a 360 approach. from nutrition to hydration through to exercise and even what we call active design in the workplace. Things like where we're standing out, a standing desk, using the stairs instead of using the lift, etc There are things we can do to encourage people to be a bit more active when they're at work. Uh, And I think a one size fits all approach to that fitness component. And increasingly the fitness component is on the table. It wasn't previously around a Mm -hmm. workplace, but I think it is there now. It can be all too easy just to say, right. Well, we'll have a yoga class and we'll have a HIIT class, and it'll be you know something along the lines of TRX and bodyweight training, which is cool. There's, there's less likely of uh, less likelihood of uh, any injuries, but that's often as far as it goes. Sure. I think where I'm interested in is a more variegated approach that allows for different needs and requirements according to people's life phase and also where they're at. relationship with exercise i think just putting in the yoga class and the the hip i just don't think it's it's good Mm -hmm. enough i think perhaps it's whether small group training and we can we can touch on that or having access to a pt just feels now based on what we've been discussing a much more rounded and complete offer and then i guess people sort of make their own choice if they do the group fitness thing then they go to the hit class on a on a monday and if not they call a pt and and work on a one-to-one right so it, it, i think that would be perhaps an ideal approach i asked about small group training um, how do you see that in terms of the benefits of working on a one-to-one and how much do you lose if you're training say three people at the same time do you think it can get close to that experience um i think that you certainly
1: can i think that everybody in the group should be more or less around the same fitness level mm. and have similar goals so you know if you have Three people that are different fitness levels with different goals is not necessarily going to work because maybe the fittest member of the group is going to be held back and the person that is sort of the least amount of experience is going to feel intimidated by. So it needs to be balanced. I do small group classes. The people tend to be friends first. Hmm. So it's not public groups. I don't just invite anybody in. They tend to come to me then we establish their goals and there are ways that you can do it so there's ways that you can train where you can have fitter members in the group and they do more you know it tends to be instead of repetitions it would be you know 30 seconds as opposed to 10 repetitions and that person can do as much or as little as they like mm. within that time for example I think cost is quite important so you talk about these businesses and I'm interested to know as well that why are they doing it? Are they, you know, to these big businesses, do they offer these uh, these services and facilities just so that they can say that they do it? Or do they, do they really
0: care? So uh, the cynical answer would be that a lot of them are signing up for, um, let's say, Certification systems, for example, like the Well Healthy Building Standard, that pretty much requires that there is a component of uh, just like there's a nutrition chapter and a hydration chapter, there's also a fitness uh, or movement chapter in particular. And then businesses are effectively encouraged to have provision for equipment or fitness training spaces and programming. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, that the level of detail around the programming is effectively what we've been talking about for the last 25 minutes or so, and that that is the key piece around how um, you actually get it to work. So it's beyond just putting it out there and Mm -hmm. actually, well, how can you activate that space? or how can you fill the classes? And if it's not often, the offer might not be complete enough, I think there's that extra layer of detail around. Uh, a a hybrid model between having or at least trying to offer some group class uh, options but also having access to a PT just like nowadays having access to a recommended um, mental health practitioner or therapist outside of the organization but who is the recommended guy or girl go to this person if it's a sort of an, an established relationship I think having something along those same lines with a PT certainly for a lot of businesses would make sense now there's another layer to it, which is where the intrinsic benefits, as you've been describing them, start to kick in and effectively help the employer as well. right? Because sure. you're just, you've got more to give, you're more energized. It's the, the sort of the, the magic of all of this is that you don't have less energy, once you get into or the trade, you have know, to it a lot yeah, more. Yeah. You know? If it works, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, okay. I crash in the E mix, yes, but during the day, <laughs> during the day, I'm on fire, man. I'm yeah. I'm good, you know. If it's only I like get my caffeine intake right, but you know that's the thing. And so, yes, there are uh, collateral benefits for that that workplace um, um, owner, the 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 employer around reducing sick days, around happier, healthier, and more productive, primarily, Mm -hmm. workforce. Uh, And I think, so to some extent, they're doing it because they generally want happy staff, and it helps attract and retain talent. Uh And there is, to to a greater or lesser extent, according to where you are, if you're in San Francisco, LA, or or London, Mm -hmm. everyone's doing it. If you're not doing it, where's the person gonna go? Somewhere where they have a gym and a whole fitness uh, setup and massages on a Friday afternoon for those who need it, etc., etc., et cetera, et cetera, or Absolutely. the one that doesn't. And so there's almost a one-upmanship going on. It's a ratchet effect, and the market's moving up, the market's adapting and adopting more and more of these measures. And certainly for the big guys like investment banks, and the, the, the big tech companies, if you're not playing that game, your competitor is, sure. and they win the talent war. And it's it's a little cynical to describe it that way, but it's happening. And the, the net results are that fitness and health are just becoming a much bigger piece. Obviously, it's not the main driver for why someone decides to go work for Goldman versus another bank, but it's definitely out there. Absolutely. Um,
1: it's an interesting point. I wonder if it's... Um, you know for somebody that doesn't exercise whether well, that's a draw for them I wonder if that's a factor if they're choosing between you know two big companies or whether it's a deterrent for somebody that's unfit something I was going to say that I think confidence comes into it as well so it can be very intimidating to go to a gym or to start an exercise program when you're very unfit mm-hmm. um and i think i get a lot of these clients that you know i have quite a few a few clients that work for google for example um and i always wonder why they've come to me instead of using the facilities that they have and i think that one of the reasons is a lack of confidence it's intimidating maybe to work out in front of their uh of their work colleagues if they're the boss for example yeah. they might not want to show weakness um so I think there's a lot of different factors, you know, and in, in the case of in the case of Google, I know that they they don't have personal trainers. I think that they have access to a gym, but there's no guidance. Mm. Um. So yeah, you know, we've spoken about it many times. I think one of the issues with with gyms is that you go and you have no idea what you're there to do. You know, you look at the machines and you don't know what they do and you're intimidated so you skip them all together and then you leave and you never go back. So, you know, this is going back a little bit, but I think it's very important to have a member of staff in these areas to help, otherwise you get people turning up having no idea how to use anything at all. And that can be very, um,
0: that can be a deterrent for them. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if I put myself in the shoes of the, of, of the brand on the other side of the employer, I think you know, I look at that, I start weighing up the pros and cons of that operational cost, that overhead that, that is implicit in what you just described. And as Matt, I then come in and say, well, look, let's look at virtual trainer options. Let's look at subscriptions that can be available uh, to facilitate those workouts uh, but effectively automated and streaming services so that there is, there's a hybrid so that there's something for someone to follow. Yeah. Even a techno gym, the techno gym classes, it's 100 or the Peloton fitness classes. Uh-huh. If you have a Peloton bike in the gym or you have a, a techno yeah. gym bit of yeah. kit yeah, yeah. for 100, Euro, 100 euros a year, you also yeah. have uh, a screen that can fold out away from the bike or from the, the main bit of kit and becomes effectively a, a virtual trainer. And it's something to follow. It's not ideal, but it fills that gap. And yeah. I think, again, it's something that we need to be conscious of because, yeah, all too often there is the risk of someone who's not, to use your term, hasn't got the education behind them around what to do, how to do it, how often, walk into a gym, happy moment, you finally made it in there, look around, you feel awkward, you don't necessarily like what you see in the mirror, or you don't want to be next to your boss on the spin bike, sure. or, or, any, or someone you've had a, you know, a row with earlier on or. Uh, a work-related issue. and Yeah, it's complex. Yeah, it's complex, and, and I think. But those subtleties, those that level of detail, is is where it needs to get to. Sure. Beyond just boom box-ticking exercises of well, we've done the gym uh, and we've put in the yoga class uh, and off we go. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's that's my big takeaway from from this conversation that a little yeah. bit of extra thinking mm-hmm. in terms of how that's structured and presented can go a long way. Absolutely thanks for your time, man. It's My been really great. My pleasure. I appreciate thanks so much, Matt.